0: Blue skies
1: cool. They seduce us, pulling us irresistibly upwards, reminding us to fly our own line, on our wings, and in life. We are the seekers, adventurers, being one with the air, feeling everything, and nothing at once. That's the magic we chase. Follow the call. Find your pure wild flight with NZ Aerosports.
0: Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on, one glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker, and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Sports fuck yeah. NZ Sports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust. Like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot the crossfire 3 when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch the jfx 2 if you're looking to up your new swoop game the leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast or the petra the petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker but hey it's not always about speed either take the kraken built as a low pack volume canopy specifically with wingsuiting in mind she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top-of-the-line kick-ass stuff, as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos! They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need. And I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. Hell, they've even got a special offer for all you Lunatic listeners out there. Just head to pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void. That's pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void and follow the instructions to register a website account with them. You'll score a discount voucher with 20 bucks towards any purchase over $200. I mean, come on. You know you're going to shop with NZ Aerosports, so grab a little extra cash towards that buy and enjoy. The offer is good until the 31st of December, and the voucher is good for three months, so go register now. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe into the Void. And I see a friendly face on the other side of this monitor. So let's dive right in. Who the fuck are you and what do you do? My
1: name's Regan Tetlow. And Rick? I present air sports and I load organize and I emcee and voiceover and Things as well. A
0: little a little bit of everything. See, I'm personally going to take a shitload of pleasure in this, and I'm going to cuss as much as possible because you have to be so fucking well-behaved on your show that it's great. I'm just going to unload. <laughs> so first off, how Could the fit, hell are wait, you? Good, you? I'm, I'm
1: good, a, mate. I'm very good.
0: <laughs> it's been a, a yeah, weird... Good. Go ahead, please, please, please. I keep stepping on you. No oh, it's been a weird
1: couple of years eh It's been a weird couple of years
0: oh man i mean you you know as well as I do doing the show that you do it's been great for podcasting and great for interviews, but other than that it's been pretty shit
1: yeah yeah tough yeah well, i mean with um, with with this job, the idea was that we were going to be traveling around the world to all the major events, all the major air sports events on site, doing interviews. Yep. All the yep. rest of it. And I'll we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. But uh yeah, COVID put a stop to that.
0: A man, it sure as hell did. And yes, we'll definitely get to it. I want to uh do what we normally do and I'm kind of rehashing with a lot of the people that have been on before for those that uh didn't see the first interview or are trying to put stories now and match them to faces. So tell us uh how you kind of got started, not just in extreme sports, but of course specifically in skydiving.
1: So back in uh, 1990, 1990, so it's mm. 30, 32 years ago now, Couple I days. was working full time in the pub. Yeah, in a, my hometown, Staley Bridge. And um, for some reason, parachuting was being banded about. It was something I thought about, something I'd seen a little bit. And um, yeah, the reason was there was a, a charity event. Well, a lot of charity events. There was a local girl. Called Mandy Turner, she was 24, I think, at the time, and she had leukaemia, and uh, it wasn't going well. And a family put together this um, this fundraising event to try and get a CAT scanner, a CT scanner, for the local hospital. Mm. And so everybody kind of got behind it. You remember this is before the internet, you know how we found right. out? I don't know. Was through the newspapers and things. So people were doing all stuff, all old- charity runs or little comedy events or things to try and raise a bit of money and um, i was aware that you could do a parachute jump for charity so wow. somehow you could do this thing and it wasn't going to cost you any money you got people to sponsor you you know people to um, put down they were going to give you ten dollars or t- ten pounds actually sure something or whatever doing the parachute jump so i got in the yellow pages and well actually i spoke to my friends in the pub i think it was a sunday night we were all drinking and uh, no i wasn't drinking i was serving of course but they were buying the <laughs> <laughs> I said, Who wants to go and jump out of a plane? Everybody, like the whole pub, like 300 people. Hey, let's go do it. So play, play. And uh, there was four of us in the end me, Mark, Kevin, and Alison. And so I got in the yellow pages, parachute center, parachute skills, and I found this by the way. I was in manchester uk it was a place in our south called uh Tilstock, the sport parachute center so i contacted them and they sent through the forms oh, i can't think how it was before the internet eh? they sponsored so that you're asking everybody will you sponsor me when they jump out of a plane you know sure. 20 pounds 10 pounds five pounds no fuck off you know? sure some sure. people wouldn't do anything about it and so i think the, the, the kind of thing was the i think Think the cost might have been about 140 pounds or something like that at the time the, uh, the static line round course okay to the charity so i think we raised three or four grand or something like that we went down did our training uh did all the ground school it was waiting to jump and it was five weeks five weeks later we eventually got to jump out of the plane but in those five weeks i was there every time driving down it was only an hour away meeting all these crazy people from all different age groups all different walks of life doctors uh, plumbers bricklayers uh, all these people that were skydivers you know it seemed very very odd that they all got together at, at the weekend and they all seemed to know each other very well and they're very comfortable together with each other and I felt like a really big outsider that um, started jumping and started to get into it a little bit.
0: Well, And obviously you managed to raise enough money to do something good for charity, and it led you um, in a very cool way to what's been a lifelong career,
1: which yeah. is a pretty- Yeah, damn- I had no idea. You know, I just liked it, I just liked it, Ricky, because I, mean, I was working full-time in a pub, so I wasn't getting out much, and this place even though it was only way the drive there was you started to leave suburbia behind and all the buildings and until you were in the countryside trees country lanes farm traffic and then you got to this place and it was just like a, an oasis of fun it was like looking behind the curtain of uh, you know this different life like i said all these people and it was I think I spoke about this before. I felt very much like, uh, you know, the imposter syndrome. I thought, why, why am I coming here? You know, sure. I keep jumping out of planes. Everybody knows it's a stupid thing to do. You're going to kill yourself. <laughs> why am I pretending to be like these people? You know, they're skydivers. I'm a barman. Why am I, why do I keep coming? And it was that all the time. And the only thing that kept me going was because it was terrifying. I was absolutely terrified every time. Uh, you know, hearing the plane startup. Fucking hell, man. I mean, I, <laughs> honestly, my innards would turn out. And Oh, I mean, sometimes I even drove there. Um, I've I actually got to the gates of the airfield and just turned around and got home. The fear <laughs> was that strong. You know? and, uh, oh, man, I mean, torture. Absolute torture, thinking, are you some kind of a freak? Why are you doing this to yourself? You know, yep. like, why do you keep turning up here? And the only thing that kept me going was, <clears throat> well, two things. One, after the landing that sense of achievement, which I think at the time I thought was a sense of of sporting achievement. Actually, it's probably just relief that you're alive, masquerading as sporting achievement. Sure. That sense of having achieved something. But the other thing that kept me going, I thought, well, uh, I had like a duality in my brain. I thought, I've got this massive fear, obviously. And um, it's a binary decision, isn't it? I can either stop and say, okay, I can't cope with the fear it's too much for me Uh, or I can continue and if I stop then I had this thought I thought I followed the thought process through and I thought if I do stop then I found my limit I found my line in the sand it's a good point Thought. do I want that do I actually want do I want to think I've reached my limit of what I can achieve in this uh you know pushing myself through fear is that it is that all I've got I thought, well, I'll do one more. You know, I'll just do another. And I'll do another, I'll do another. And after about 50 jumps, I got my licence and we were down at the local pub Saturday night like we always were. And I thought, I've got to tell these people, you know, I can't masquerade any longer. I said, guys, put your drinks down. I've got something to say. And they're all like, what's this? I said, I'm absolutely terrified. I've done like 55 jumps. I'm shitting myself every single time. Can't call, You know, I'm absolutely... I don't know how you guys... You know, I don't know. I mean, should I walk away? Is this, is this the, uh, you know, this is the time that I'm admitting my fear. And right. they're like, Regan, oh, man, so stupid. And I thought, yeah, they're going to tell me, like, you shouldn't have carried on to get to this stage, but with all this, shit, you're so stupid. We're all terrified. <laughs> this guy said, yeah, I've been doing it 15 years. I'm so terrified. But what, what? And this guy said, yeah, I've been doing it 60 years and I'm still terrified. Yeah. I said, ah, and then it clicked. I thought, the fear is part of it. It's not, it's not, Um. it's not like a, an abscess. It's not like a, like a, a sore or something you've got to get rid of. It's not like an infection, the fear. It's actually part of the game. Oh yeah. An important it. part. And I thought, ah, it, yeah, I, yeah, That yeah. hit me as and well. And here I am, like nine, nine and a half. You got you too, eh? Same way.
0: Yeah, same way. I mean, I I had these uh, um the I had a spot on the freeway where I could turn around before I hit that spot, and if I did, I could do it clear conscience and go home. But if I drove past that spot, I had to jump. That was it. That was that was the choice, and and uh, um it kind of got to be the same thing. And I remember a, a higher time skydiver telling me how he fought fear all the time as well, and it clicked just like that. It was a uh, oh. I'm supposed to be nervous. This is a good thing, and then you learn to enjoy—not enjoy. I think "enjoy" is the, the wrong word, but you certainly learn to embrace that fear.
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that feeling at the end of the day where you're driving home or you're, you're having drinks and stuff, and you feel like ah, alive, don't you? That adrenaline and the this sense of accomplishment. It's like, boom, come on. We've done something really good here. Yeah, how I didn't, sure. I mean, the fear should have been getting there because I'll tell you what I used to do, Ricky, you and know, I don't think I've admitted this to many people, but it was 60 miles away from door to door. So I did the ma- mental calculations. If I can average 60 miles an hour, right? So it was taking more than an hour all the time because when you're on the highway, you can do 18, 90, Uh, 70, sorry, is the legal limit. You can do 70 on the highway, but then on on the back road, sometimes you get traffic, so it it slows you down to 30 or 20. Sometimes, for the average, you should be able to if you can maintain an average of 60 miles an hour, you can do it in one hour. So, that was always my thing. And I'd stand, I'd I'd sit in my car before I set off with a stopwatch (laughs) with my key, and I would turn the ignition and hit the start and go. And the things I would do to try and break that one hour and I would start to measure like, okay, this time I got to that junction. Next time I got to that lamppost as it hit one hour, you know, in fact, pushing it, pushing it. Man, some of the, not, pray, not, not proud of these things I did, but some of the manoeuvres on some of those country lanes oh, yeah. to try and break one hour. Fighting against myself, in competition against myself, nearly killing myself. For there's sure. one time, this is one bit on the A41 It goes down a steep hill there's a roundabout at the bottom and uh <laughs> I've never admitted this to anybody the brakes the brakes we hit the roundabout boom and took off and bounced over to the other side of the in my friend's car not in mine mike davis mike davis that had killed us both All well, to try and race your way to the drop zone
0: the shit that going right, ever... to try and beat one hour the shit that skydivers do that almost always gets them killed has nothing to do with jumping most of the time.
1: Yeah, we're yeah. we're not we'd come, the we be coming back. We be coming back from the country pub and um, just a few miles, and you know for some reason we would try we would climb out of the window of the car over the roof and back into the car in the other window. Yes. Oh man, it's a stupid thing things you do when you're you know at a stupid age oh
0: my god yes well and and uh, uh, some of us that age lasts a whole lot longer than it should i mean we used to watch guys uh what they jokingly called street skiing on rainy days driving up and down the runway and cross keys um getting out of the car on wet pavement and hanging onto the door jam doing 30 40 miles an hour up the runway dragging themselves on the pavement i mean come on <laughs> all just because we're bored and you're not getting that fix of that fear that we've now gotten used to and overcome in a smart way so now we're doing stupid shit and getting the same thing
1: <laughs> i remember in in the uk at the time you know the weather was mostly crap so we did a lot of stupid shit on the drop zone <laughs> <that> we, <laughs> i've that heard that a, a few of stories <laughs>
0: So now you, you only stayed in the UK for so long when it came to the sport. You eventually ended up heading towards warmer climates, didn't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was, um, I'd left the pub in uh, 99. And then um, I was up in the north of England. And I got invited to Imperial Brava in Spain uh, with a group of other skydivers. I'd just, I'd been doing four-way a lot. And um, that had kind of just come to an end. And so they asked me to go with them, some university jumpers, to do some one-on-one coaching and just kind of look after them a little bit. And um, so I did. So I went there and Pura Brava, And while it was just the right place at the right time, they were looking for uh, somebody full-time, for like a multi-role type of thing, load organizing, looking after new jumpers, people who were hanging around, basically to get more money out of the pockets of the clients. Sure. So if they're on their own, they might do two jumps and pack for themselves and then go to the pub. But, you know, if they were with me, they might do four or five jumps and they might buy packing tickets. So, you know, getting everybody together, making it a bit more organised and uh, being like a front of house for the drop zone, really, because the owners sure. were getting a bit older and they, they couldn't be bothered with that anymore. So to be like the front of the house, hey guys, how you just arrived? What are you doing? Do you want to do some belly? Are you doing free flying? Do you know those free-fly team I can hook you up there with some coaching so yeah it was that kind of a role and um, they offered me a job and at the time I was working in recruitment up in Newcastle and um, I was 34 and I was thinking you know what going full-time skydiving I mean, surely that's like a young man's job you know you want to be teenage or early 20s and I thought do I really want to do that is that you know, like running away and joining the circus? Is it kind of giving up on real life? You know, is it a bit bit irresponsible? And I thought about it and um, I went to bed that night and I was thinking, you know, do I want to? And and then I suddenly thought, you know what? This was in the summer and I suddenly thought it'll soon be winter and I'll be trudging around in the center of the North of England, in the snow, in the crap thinking, why the hell am I not in Spain? (laughs) Getting paid to jump out of planes. So then when I had that thought, I thought, it's an obvious decision. you know. So I went into the meeting the next morning with the fans and we talked it all out and when I was going to start, what I was going to do, and uh, totally forgot about salary. And uh, I got to the door and I went, oh, um, I've not asked, um, you know, I'm sorry to be uh, a bit crass, but how much are you going to pay me? And they said, uh, not a lot. See you. And I thought, what? And I, I walked, walked out the door and I thought, do you know what? It doesn't matter. As long as I've got enough to uh, pay the rent and uh, buy my food and uh, all my jumps are covered, I thought, actually, the salary is actually irrelevant. But I did actually email them and said, yeah, but how much really is it? That point still stands. You know, if you want to find yourself in your life, which is your love and your passion and you want to make it your career, well, you can make the money. That's not the important thing. So your question shouldn't be, how much is this going to pay me? It should be, are you going to fill your life? Well, and that seems to be a lot of
0: professional skydivers kind of came to that crossroads. Um, And a lot of us, uh, after talking to so many people for so many years now, have come to the decision at roughly the same age. Uh, For me, it was an easy decision because oddly enough, for me, becoming a professional skydiver was um, a respectable decision because I was a full-time fucking stripper at the time. So... (laughs) <laughs> so keeping my pants on and uh jumping out of airplanes was like the respectable choice, but yes, many many, many people, uh, some of the greats, Omar Al Higlani, tossed in a normal life to go into skydiving full time and you know okay. live the drop zone life and all that. And it really does boil down to: do you want to enjoy the majority of your life, which is that time
1: that you spend working? Yeah. It's important. Yeah, it's a decision. Is very important, you know? We're not around for a long time, eh? 100 years maximum, and then boom, you're gone. You might, it goes still, by, you might as well do your utmost to enjoy it, it goes by so fast. Well, how old are you now? I'm currently 54, and then a couple of weeks I'll be 55. Okay, I'm so really looking forward to being 55. I, I, don't, I just like the way the number looks 55. Five. I'm looking right, right.
0: Well, you know, it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way. Um Getting older doesn't really bother me because of the lifestyles that we lead. I'm surrounded by a bunch of punk kids. Really, the only thing that changes is I have less hair and more of those stuff I do turns gray. Yeah, yeah. That, that's about it. I mean, otherwise, I'm still leading the same life that I was living in my late twenties. Yeah,
1: yes. It, it, I think one the difference with me is my um useful waking hours are less so uh, nothing much happens to me past 9 p.m dude
0: yeah i gotta I, admit that's true it's a lot more uh, lazy couch time with shitty movies that i don't remember because i'm falling asleep
1: so you somebody t- um when i was still, go ahead go ahead when i was when i was still in dubai a friend was coming to town and he said uh do you want to meet up will uh, go and get something to eat," he said. "Yeah," um, he said. "Like tomorrow? What about ten o'clock?" <laughs> and obviously uh, in bed, daytime. He said, "P.M.," I said, "Night," at night," <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's not gonna happen no no, no. i'll be well asleep by it so. yeah, cool. yeah you, too you. damn late. well i was just gonna
0: say so you you did the jumping thing and the load organizing thing and and uh really with the liaison and you were jumping as well i know you competed some but you also transitioned into becoming an mc and for a lot of people the voice of skydiving when it comes to in-person stuff big events and of course now air sports news how did that come about
1: well, just after starting at Imperia Brava, that was 2004, they had an ongoing competition, the King of Swoop, on the beach, which had been going um, for a couple of years. So the, the next one was 2005, and they asked me if I would present it and see it, because I was doing a bit of DJing, historically, I'd been DJing before I was jumping out of planes, so I was used to a microphone and that type of stuff, and I was doing a bit of DJing at the, uh, the drop zone. So they said, we've got this competition coming. Will you will you do it? Just call out the names. And I uh, said, we'll pay you a 100 euros a day extra. Said, yes, I'll do that. So the next thing, I'm stood on the beach in my swimwear with a microphone, announcing all these uh, swoopers and uh, really enjoyed it. And then we did it the next year as well. And then what happened next? And That was... 2006, 2007, and then it kind of went quiet a little bit. And then in 2009, so probably two years later, I got a message um, from Renier at the drop zone saying, there's going to be this event in Dubai. They're going to put on a international parachuting championship next year. And they've asked me, because he was doing the swoop course. And so they've asked him to find uh, an English speaking presenter for that, and that was like the big break. So I went to Dubai then. 2010, 2011, Um, 2012, I did the, no, 2013, 2012 was the Mondial, Uh, 2013 was the uh, World Games in Calais, Colombia, Uh, got sent to that, and then the winter competitions had all really just started Going and win games center, so it was that I was doing. So it was around 2014, 2013, 2014, it really started to reach a height. And I was going away and doing quite a few different jobs. Still, working a conversation with the managers at the time. They said, Regan, how many days annual leave do you get? I said, I think it's 36, um, which is quite generous. Yeah, it was 36. And they said, so how many days have you been away this year? I said, oh, I'm not exactly sure. They said, 78. I said, okay. So they said, well, you know, we appreciate what you do and we know, like, you are promoting the jobs and stuff, but, you know, you're on a salary, so we have to start thinking about (laughs) are you working for yourself or are you working for us and uh, what do you do? And he said, actually, Curry at the time said, you need to get out of here, man. He said, this is what you need to be doing. He said, "Uh, you know, we were actually in Dubai at the time. He'd broken the deal. With the prince, his highness, buying the drop zone. So it was now Dubai owned. And uh, he said, This is where you need. And I was like, Yeah, you know, probably after 10 years in one place, it's difficult to break out. You think sure. this is what I should be doing. You know, I'm living a dream. I'm living in pure brava. I'm on the beach, jumping out of planes. You know, I want to roll the dice again and try again. So I did actually. And um, talking to a lot of people in Dubai, and there was a lot of potential there for presenting work. Not only in air sports and parachuting, but in all other fields. MCs, you know what it's like over there in Dubai. There's uh, there's events all the time. Award sure. ceremonies for this, award ceremonies for that. So I um, I handed in my notice. I quit on the thirty first of December, uh, twenty fourteen, and um, it was funny that week. I got my email through from the work rotation for what I was doing the next week. I said, guys, you need to do that rotation again. Remember, I'm not here. Went, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went to Dubai and um, I said, went freelance. So presenting, I was doing load organising up, up in uh, the uh, desert campus as well. And then they, were, they had the uh, Dubai International Swoop League at the time. So I was mm-hmm. presenting that too. And then all the events, um, 2015, 16, 17, just went really, really ballistic. My first sure. year, my first summer was six, 16 weeks on the road, which felt like a lot. The next one was... Um, 22 weeks, and the next year was 28 weeks on the road. So it's almost it's more than half a year, uh, yeah. just going from one event to the next. Just um, and literally not knowing where you were. You know, I, I get off the plane, go down um, to the baggage area, and you've got to look at the screen uh, which shows you where your baggage is going to, be, which carousel it's going to be on. So you look at where you've come from, Paris or Dubai. Or, and I, I didn't know. I had to get my <laughs> boarding pass out to remember where I'd left. It sounds stupid, doesn't it? You know? And then I'll, I'll be at events saying, uh, you know, A very good morning, welcome to the, uh, the International Sailplane Championships here in Switzerland. And they'll be like, Kurt, Regan, you're in Poland. Oh, shit. <laughs> Switzerland was last week, wasn't it? Welcome to Poland. Or the uh ballooning chat no it's not ballooning it's not ballooning your sail oh sailplane now. What, would you <laughs> what is it you're at the 14th international sailplane championships in poland right Okay, oh, yeah Pol- gliders poland 14th okay well all the Let different go. events
0: that you've done i mean uh, you told me about having to go and you were doing announcing for a balloon race which for me instantly sounds hilarious because how much is there to talk about what's going on with the fucking balloon race but how cool that it turned out to be all these different things that you have done and then it even led to of all things an acting career
1: yeah that's a crazy one isn't it so when yes. i got to dubai um a few of the agents i was working with said look um don't just consider yourself to be uh, an airports presenter you know you've got to be open to do you know, the, the trick to work in Dubai is never say no to anything. So, mm. great. So, I was doing this, doing all sorts of different promotional work. And um, this one woman that I'd done one job for, I can't remember what I'd done. Oh, yeah, I'd gone to Egypt. I was, top secret, I was Barney the Dinosaur. <laughs> I was Barney the Dinosaur for two weeks in Egypt. So, they, 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 they had me at this five-star hotel and... Um, Three nights a week, no, sorry, three times a night, I was on stage as Barney, fully dressed up as Barney, doing the dancing, photo opportunity for the kids. <laughs> and uh, the hotel was used for all, 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 the, all the cabin crew, all the flight attendants were there all the time. And so I was, was down the pool one day, so my days were free, and uh, all these flight attendants were there, and we got chatting away. I said, so what do you do? I said, oh, um, part of the uh, entertainment. I said, oh, what entertainment? I said, oh, uh, <laughs> uh, part of the children entertainment. The children's entertainment? What did you do? I, said, I, I, I can't tell you. They were, Are you fucking Barney? I said, yeah, but don't tell anyone. So that night, I was on stage, and they were running up. And we were like, hey, I <laughs> Shaking love out. it. But it was violent. It was vicious. Dean, you won't believe it. These kids. So they've got a, You've got um, two chaperones on either side, and they've got one bringing the kids on photo, and the other chaperone takes them off. And these kids are with you for like 10 seconds and they're trying to, they're reaching inside, they've got all of the gloves, they're trying to break your fingers, trying to break your finger back, they're kicking your shins. (laughs) Little (laughs) bastards. (laughs) I wouldn't last five minutes. Oh, Um, man. And, and, And you're in this, and you can't really do much and there's people coming up to you with babies and trying to put a baby in your arms, but you've got no grip. It's just like fur. And you're not allowed to speak when you're in the suit. So you're right. trying to say, because if they, if they let go of that baby, it's going to fall and crash to the ground. Yeah. Oh, it, it was, there was quite a few intense moments. That yeah. would make international Unless, news if,
0: if, if you got the, sh- wait, I'll forget the baby dropping. You got the shits in a Barney
1: costume. <laughs> yeah, well, I was, so I, I was eating, I was eating, the, you know, because it was all buffet food. And, um, yeah, I, I had some really tense moments because I was on stage for 20 minutes. So I had to try and make sure that I was good to go before those 20 minutes and not, if not, hold on for dear life until the end oh of that session. Oh, my Lord.
0: Well, you did do a um, legitimate piece of acting. Well, so um, the story
1: was... How so, yeah. so I was doing this with this woman. And then so, so she got in touch. Can you act? Because it's uh, this uh, Snow White, not Snow White, Prince Charming uh, stage show. And uh, it's this was Wednesday. So it's on Friday. Said, what? So she sent through the script on WhatsApp and uh, I, I learned it the best I could. Did the gig. We had a great laugh. And then that started to open up to a lot more acting jobs. And then a few different commercials, TVCs came through from a, another company in uh, Dubai. And I got this one through and uh, I just assumed it was a commercial. I went for the audition. And I got the part and it was only after I got the part I realized it was for a movie. (laughs) And um, so I did this. I played this role as a a British MC. And um, in this Nigerian movie called The Wedding Party Two. And it's the biggest grossing Nigerian movie ever. (laughs) I'm known in Nigeria. (laughs) (laughs) It's fucking wonderful. Well, that- in fact, every time I see somebody who looks like they might be from Nigeria, I always say to them, do you know when people get stalked by their fans? Well, I stalk the fans. So if I see somebody who looks like they might be from Nigeria, I say, excuse me, you're not from Nigeria, right? They say, yes. I said, have you seen the wedding party too? They said yeah. I said, oh, you're the British MC. <laughs> I am, I am, I am. That's the, yeah, that's the so picture.
0: I- I- they did the picture of that uh, show. You, I think you're sitting down and you've got a rather intense look, like you're fighting with somebody. Is that the picture or the yeah. poster for the movie? Yeah. All
1: right, yeah. so, it was a fight. It was, this guy's a famous. Uh, he's a famous uh, stand-up comedian in Nigeria, and he really had me in a headlock. And he was pushing. He was being a bit of the big I am, you know. So I, I had to kind of get a few. Yeah. Uh, elbows into the ribs a couple of times five takes yeah it was a bit intense but it looks good on camera cuz um,
0: it looked great real it looked great well and then of course this all segues up to the fact that you ended up doing now you've been doing it for quite a quite a while now over 100 episodes
1: right with air sports news we're coming up to the 100th episode we're in the 10th season and there's 10 episodes uh, per season so actually today tomorrow I'll be recording Season ten, episode five. Nice. And so that came about. Um, I saw an advert on Instagram from this company called Air Sports Promotion, based in Poland, and they were looking for a presenter for air sports. And my first thought was, "What the fuck are they doing advertising this on Instagram? Yeah. You know, why are they not contacting me directly?" Right, right. <laughs> and so anyway, I sent them a message, and um, I said, "Hi, I'm Regan Temple, and this is what I've done." I said, "Okay." well, we're interested, we'd like to meet. And they had a, um, an air show happening in Poland like three or four weeks later than that. So they took me to that, they flew me there. And um, then there was um, a balloon uh, European Championships in, on Majorca, the island of Mallorca, and they took me there for that. And then they offered me a full-time position and we were going to be going around the world like I said earlier, to all the major airsports events reporting from them. Uh, This was March 2020, early (laughs) March 2020. I signed the contract and I flew back to Dubai and um, started to hear about this COVID situation, which was kicking off. And I'd just been to an audition for a film and I was going back to the apartment. This was the the, uh, 12th of March and I suddenly realised that there was a high potential because I could see different airports and countries were shutting down. I thought there's a high potential here. I'm going to get trapped in Dubai for the summer. And uh, my girlfriend, Lise was in Montreal. That's where she lived at the time. And I thought, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get to Lisa. I'll never see her. And um, I thought the only way I'm going to do this is if I book a flight now for tonight. So I got got on my phone and I booked a flight five hours later leaving Dubai and hearing more and more about airports shutting down everywhere. I wasn't even sure if I was going to get out of Dubai. I did. I had to transfer through Amsterdam. I wasn't sure if I was going to get through Amsterdam. And then I wasn't sure if I was going to, if they were going to let me into Canada. And mm-hmm. they did. And two days So I was so, so lucky. And so sure. then I'm in Montreal with lease and um, expecting that I'm going to get a call from this new job. And it's going to be bad news because there's no more airsports happening anywhere in the world. Sure. And I got the call and um, there's the boss. He's a boss. He, he flies private jets. Uh, so he's, he's, you know, he's passionate about airsports. There's Chris. He uh, writes a show and he's the editor and he's from uh, Polish TV. And there's me. So we had a three-way call just like this. We said, "What well, you know, what we're we going to do. And somehow we came up with the idea of doing a weekly news show. Mm. And uh, that's what we started, you know. We, we try and get interviews and guests and do a roundup of what's been happening around the world in air sports. And uh, that's what we've done two years later. Here we are still doing it. And we've branched out now. We, we've done a few gigs out in the real world. So it's a, it's all coming together. Just had five weeks in Qatar. That was an experience. Wow. Nice, nice. Five weeks in Qatar. Well, we had the uh, world. I was just
0: going to say the cool thing is because you've now gotten yourself really well established because of the internet presence in the show, they must be lining up to have you and air sports news in actual events.
1: Yes. uh, It's starting to, we've got uh, for this year coming up. uh, We've got the, um, again, the the Gordon Medic gas balloon race. That's the biggest FAI championships. That's going to be uh, in September. And then there's a, a glider championships in uh, May. <clears throat> I've just This is breaking news. I've just been invited to the um, skydiving symposium in Poland in March. We'll nice. be doing that. Um, lots of other events being talked about now. So it's, it's really starting to come back again. We're still at that stage where travel is not fully open. Um, in fact, I should have been in Seville for the Christmas boogie. I should have been organising there. And that was right when this Omicron had its full power and nobody knew how strong it was going to be. Right. And I, I'd just gone back. i just got back from Qatar. And it looked like places were starting to close down again. And so I took a, a decision uh, that I wasn't going to go to uh, Seville, which broke my heart. It's one of my favourite places. Mm. But um, in 10 weeks, I'll be in Costa Rica for the, the boogie there. I'll be organising at that with Rich Greens Tsunami Skydiver, so I'm looking forward to seeing. Nice. There's
0: going to be some amazing people out there. I know uh, Omar Al-Hijalan's going to be out that way. I think Airwax is going to be there if I'm not mistaken. So some fucking rock stars showing up. Yeah. 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 It'll be pretty amazing. Now, one other thing I wanted to to, uh, mention uh, is the stuff you've got sitting right behind you. Man, you are a multi-talented son of a bitch. Because you got these three paintings sitting behind you now. Is uh, I assume that they just happened to be there when we started this. You've been painting, well, your, hap- painting your happy ass off.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that's kind of started um, as we got into the pandemic. Because my first job from school was a commercial artist. Wow. So when I was sixteen, school at sixteen, and I found myself working in a, an advertising for just before Apple Macs broke out. So we were using. Ink and pens and letter set and uh, spray paste. Uh, that was my first job. And I've um, kind of not been near it for a very, very long time. And um, my girlfriend's daughter, she's, she loves art. She's painting all the time. And at one moment of boredom, I thought, I'll go on Amazon and buy her some uh, art supplies. So I was flicking was through Amazon and I was buying her for some paints, and buying her some brushes. I thought these look really cool I thought I wonder if I should buy some for myself you know I've got time on my hands maybe I should start painting again and uh, we had one spare canvas in the apartment and I said you know are we using that can I have that one so I took it and I did uh, an abstract on it just put this abstract together and I put it on Facebook and people were going crazy like oh we love it we love it we love it and somebody wanted to buy it so I had no idea about how that was going to work because they were in Europe and I was in canada so i figured it out or worked out a price i figured out how to make a box and ship it to this person so i thought i'll paint another one so i painted another and and, and another and another and here we are like over a hundred paintings later i was gonna say a bit of a side I, hustle
0: I, I was gonna say how many tetlos are out there now yeah. they're all yeah, just over 100. numbered and signed i would hope
1: well i have not numbered them and uh, actually, I forgot to sign a couple of them. It's just, oh, oh. Just, it, it, was, it, it was at a stage that I was doing that many. I was going, you know taking like two a day to the post office. So it was a bit of a production line. And uh, there is two out there that I forgot to sign. I'm sorry oh. to say. Uh, one's in Chicago. One's in Chicago. What, you're going to... Uh, the other one is Texas, I think. You're
0: going to have to make it to Chicago and Texas to sign them. That way they're not battling over whether or not it's a a fake Tetlow or not. Exactly. (laughs) So as we wrap things up, as always, I want you to tell everybody how they track you, how they find out what events you're going to be in, and, of course, how they follow air sports news and everything that you guys got coming up.
1: All right. So on all the socials, I'm Regan Tetlow. just my name, R-E-G-A-N-T-E-T-L-O-W um airsports news is um part of airsports promotion so you can follow us on facebook airsports promotion and on youtube as well we have a new show every wednesday twenty hundred utc which is universal time the same as greenwich mean time that's when it goes live and um we have two headline interviews every week and uh, just after this i'm going to be interviewing uh james Libari from uh drop zone marketing he's a to be a good guest you should get him on your show as well absolutely and um, that's going to be happening yeah james so and you're doing great as well loving your stuff loving your content
0: been having an and, absolute uh, blast your
1: studio's looking good right um, i know Morgan? it what's that have you, have you got the is that the, the shore sm7b yes it is it? oh yeah the number one, the number one. sexy Used sexy by, of course joe joe rogan joe that- rogan loves it
0: People ask me, they're like, so when did you learn how to do all this stuff with uh, setting up a studio? And I'm like, learn. I Googled what does Joe Joe Rogan use and I bought all that shit. So, yeah, yeah. no, I, I've had a lot of fun putting the studio together. You know, the, the pandemic did the same for me. I had a whole lot of time on my hands to try and get it uh, up to speed so that I could do decent interviews. And and uh, l- luckily for both uh, uh, you and, and I, technology, it is a point where we can do this long distance. Because 10 years ago, this wasn't possible. No. no. So, amazing, fact, right?
1: We just moved. We moved the... Uh... We've just moved to Toronto. We've got this new apartment here. And there's a storage room, which is perfect for a studio. Oh, yeah. So there's a bit of a psychological battle going on right now between me and me about whether it's going to be my man cave studio or whether it's going to be the storage room. So uh, luckily, wait and see. I watch this space.
0: Luckily, I won that battle because this is supposed to be the maid's room and it's just a, basically an oversized closet in the apartment. And I took it over and built it into the studio. And, and uh, yeah, this is where I basically keep all of my crap. It's not in it's not the bathroom anymore. Then. It's not in the bathroom. No, it's in a proper room. I've got, the stu- studio's got its own bathroom and everything.
1: Fantastic, it looks really nice. It looks yeah, really man, it's nice. turned out
0: good. Well, next time you're around, we're gonna have to get you live and in person,
1: Regan. Absolutely, man, good to see you.
0: Yes, yeah. Regan, thank you so much. As always, I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we'll keep up and uh, speak to you soon.
1: Take care, brother. Thanks very much.
0: And there you have it, another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void brought to you as always by, and say it with me, fuck yeah, NZ Aerosports. Head to nzaerosports.com by Pussfoot. That's right, head to Pussfoot.com, the extreme sports collective, and check out everything they've got to offer. By SummitParachuteSystems.com Jarrett Martin and the family cranking out amazing pilot rigs, as well as incredible rigging courses. And now joining the Lunatic team, it's the one and only Tony Suits. You know them, you love them. Head to TonySuit.com Check out all the amazing standards, as well as the new incredible signature line they've got going on. And as for us, the Lunatic Fringe is now on YouTube. That's right, you're going to have the chance to put faces to the audio by heading to youtube.com and looking up the Lunatic Fringe podcast. It's easy. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, check out all the amazing videos from the previous guests that we've had, as well as new and upcoming interviews on video. As always, I am the fucking pilot. Head to the fucking pilot.net or the princess Thanks for joining. We'll see you next time around.